Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that connects you, our listeners, to our guests using songs from their lives and the stories they contain. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Radu Papanyu. Radu is the new artistic and music director of the Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra. He's also associate conductor of the Naples Philharmonic and music director of the Naples Philharmonic Youth Orchestra. Since 2017, Radu has conducted the Naples Philharmonic in more than 100 different classical education and pops programs. He's been a guest conductor with orchestras around the world, including the Transylvania State Philharmonic Orchestra, Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra, Colorado Music Festival Orchestra, and the North Carolina Symphony. Radu began his musical studies on the violin at age 7, and after coming to the United States at the invitation of the Perlman Music Program, he completed two degrees in violin performance under the guidance of Robert Lipset at the Colburn Conservatory in Los Angeles. As a soloist and chamber musician, Radu has appeared in festivals throughout Europe and North America. He got his Master of Music degree in orchestral conducting at the New England Conservatory of Music. While in Boston, he was also conductor apprentice with the Handel and Haydn's Society. Radu currently resides in Naples, Florida with his wife, flutist Blair Francis Papanyu. In his spare time, he says he enjoys chamber music reading parties, fishing, biking, and playing tennis. Hey there, Radu. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? Thank you so much I'm, for having me. I'm doing great. We really appreciate you doing this. Um, so, you start your new job on Friday, huh? Is that the official start date? Uh, that is correct, and it's all it's very, very uh, exciting. I had a wonderful trial week uh, with the orchestra back, back in a- a- April, and I absolutely love the time with the orchestra, the time with the staff, and performing for the audience here. So, I'm very, very much looking forward to my first season. This will be your first time working as music director for a professional th- uh, orchestra, right? That is correct. How's it feel? Oh, it's very exciting. You know, for, for a young conductor, it's, uh, it's that moment that you've been waiting and working towards for a long time. So I'm really happy it's, it's finally here, and um, I cannot wait for the first, uh, first few concerts. Uh, uh, you mentioned the word young, so I'm going to go ahead and ask this question. Is 32 young for music director of a professional orchestra in today's world? You know, it's a, it's a question that uh, it's very, very hard to answer because uh, things have changed uh, a lot uh, lately. But I think as a musician, uh, at least in my experience so far, you keep learning with every year that goes by. So in some ways, you you can consider it uh, young and uh of course, there are other examples of younger people than me being a music director in many, many places. So uh, it depends how you look at it, I, I guess I would say. Understood. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, where did you grow up? You grew up in Romania, as I understand it. So how would you, uh, you know, where in Romania and how would you describe the musical background of your childhood? So I was born in a town on the Danube in Romania. This is in the southwest. Uh, it's called Robeta Turnu. Uh, Severin. And on the other side of the Danube, you can see Serbia. And it's right where the Danube uh, comes out of the Carpathian Mountains. So it's a very, very beautiful area. And uh, I, I, I don't come from a musical family. I'm actually the very first musician in my family. But uh, I loved music when I was uh, young. And I really wanted to play the guitar. And my grandmother... Uh, 
decided to buy me a guitar for my seventh birthday. But then what happened, the guitar was just a little bit too big, and a lot of people recommended that I should start with a different uh, string instrument that would be uh, smaller. And I started playing the, the violin. And uh, things started developing really fast. I, I really enjoyed playing the violin, and I started in the first couple of years participating in a few national competitions, and it went very well. So it kind of became the thing that I did, and it developed to such an extent that when I was in sixth grade, uh, we were having uh, conversations with uh, the local teacher there and my parents, and they decided it would be a great moment uh, for me to move to Bucharest, which was the capital of Romania, to attend a music high school there. It's called the Georgianescu Music High School. Georgianescu is our, our most uh, famous and wonderful composer in Romania. So uh, my parents did a big sacrifice. Uh, we figured out a place to live in Bucharest, and my grandmother, the one that bought me the guitar, she ended up moving with me uh, to Bucharest, and she was there basically taking care of me for five years while I attended this uh, this school. So I le- I first left uh, home for music when I was uh, when I was twelve, and I attended this this wonderful uh, music high school in Romania, which uh, has a lot of uh, tradition. And then things developed uh, from there, and I have a feeling we're going to get into that uh, as well. We will. Um, so were you completely wrapped up in classical music and performing, or you know, were you listening to music of the day as well? I was. I can say, especially. Uh, when I was very young, I was listening to a lot of uh, Romanian uh, pop music. And then I remember in high school uh, that I, I sort of had a period of time when I, you know, I, I got really excited. I was discovering the Beatles for the first time. And I was listening to the Rolling Stones and some Pink Floyd. And I, I was always interested in listening to anything that I truly enjoyed. I also listened to quite a bit of jazz and a little bit of uh, folk music. Well, there's something in Romanian that we have. There's a wonderful tradition. It's something it's called uh, lauterie. It's kind of really virtuosic folk music. And there's a lot, particularly for the for the violin. So I was really listening to uh, a lot of everything, but I was mainly studying classical music. Um, I asked this question to Amy Ginsberg when she was on, but these days, how often do you listen to classical music that isn't for work reasons? Oh, all the time. The, that's the thing about me. I absolutely love classical music, and uh, it, it's really part of my life, I would say, on every single day. And if I'm not listening to, to something, there's probably something at some point going through my head through through the day. Do you remember the first music you owned when you were young? That's a very, very good question. I remember we went through a cassette phase, and we had a lot of lot of cassettes. But what I truly remember is that I had a, a set. My mom got this for my birthday. It was a set of six classical music CDs. And it's funny, I still remember one of them had Vorjak New World Symphony, and I had a collection of Brahms Hungarian dances. There was quite a bit of Mozart. But then I also remember for, I think for my next birthday, because I loved them so much, she bought a CD of, it was Berlioz Symphony Fantastique, and I listened to it all the time. And, and to this day, this is still one of my favorite, uh, favorite uh, classical pieces. Were your friends when you were young 
not listening to the kind of music you were listening to, where they were like, Roddy's over there listening to the string stuff. <laughs> uh, a little bit. Uh, well, when I was really young, I feel, let's say, before I was eight or nine, I was listening pretty much what every uh, kid growing up in Romania would be listening to. And then uh, one thing about the school system there was that even in my hometown, I attended uh a school that was supported by the state, but it was a music. It was an art school. You could do either painting or or music. So while I had some friends who were maybe listening to something else, I've always also had a group of friends that was listening to the kind of things I would listen as well, which I found it was a very good and healthy balance. Huh. Um, so you almost play the guitar, but you do play the violin. Do you play any other instruments? Well, uh, I... I can play other instruments, but violin, you know, a, a huge part of my life was dedicated uh, to the violin. So I can say I truly, truly play the violin. I, uh, I Lately, I started playing the viola a little bit because I really enjoy one of my favorite activities uh, ever is to have a chamber music party. And what happens, uh, friends come over to the house and we will be reading string quartets and quintets when, while having good food and everybody rotates and... Uh, many times we have enough violinists but not enough violists so I started doing that so I can uh, accommodate and I've been enjoying it a lot also during the pandemic a little bit I actually purchased a guitar and I I finally started playing a little bit but I can also play keyboard piano a a little bit but nothing on the level of the violin so uh, your bio you just mentioned this and I wanted to ask and then we'll get to your uh, first song your bio says you enjoy chamber music reading parties is that how you put it is that what you were just describing Exactly, a chamber music siding party, and the idea is that lots of people come over uh, to the house. We have some good food, and there's always music going on because everybody gets to rotate. So you get to hang out with friends, enjoy good music, and at some point you go uh, through the rotation, and you're also reading some of this great repertoire. And it's you know what's fantastic about it? You're it's really not a pressure setting in any way. And I've learned that some of the absolute best musical. Uh, experiences happen in that kind of uh, setting, and it's just incredible fun. Are the people who would typically be at those parties all professional musicians? I think it's, uh, in some instances, yes, but I've also been to a lot of parties, and this is really fun where there's a mix. Perhaps perhaps the people that are not musicians are not reading music, but I've learned that they've also, they absolutely love the kind of setting, and they like seeing the professional music- musicians in a setting uh, that's so friendly and open. And uh, yeah, I would say there's a good mix lately. Huh. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Okay, well, let's get to your first song. Um, this is the Buena Vista Social Club song, right? Yes. And uh, there's a little bit of a story to to this. and. When I was at the, I was telling you about the Georgianesque Music High School uh, in Bucharest. I had a really, really good uh, friend who was who was actually working at the as a security guard for the music high school, and I spent a lot of hours at the music high school because after classes were over, I had a key to a practice room, and you know, let's say we finished classes around two p.m. I would probably almost every day be there until eight, nine p.m. So I got really, really close to this guy. His name is Eugene, and to this day, he's one of my my best friends. And he doesn't play music, but he's always just absolutely loved 
music and he's a little bit of an encyclopedia when it comes to music and I think I was in 11th grade and he introduced me to to Buena Vista Social Club for the very first time and of course I loved the story of the album how it how it came to be but that being said what truly uh touched me when hearing the first song and I believe this is the first song on the album and that's what I chose it uh, I think music in its most powerful way it it really happens uh, in the moment when artists are no longer trying uh, to prove anything but they are really they're doing it for the love uh, of the music and it comes out in uh, the most sincere uh, way. And I think this is what really struck me when I heard the album and the first song. It was just so incredibly sincere and pure that it touched me immediately. And it's something that as an artist, I've learned through the years. And I try to to keep that in mind uh, as I get ready for every single performance. That's why it's so incredibly uh, meaningful for me because I feel I really learned something from it and to on on every single listen it it just touches me uh, immediately in the same uh, honest and pure way is it something that you ever have played uh, long to is that even within like your you know wheelhouse no that that's the thing it's it's not not at all and that's why I found it so incredible when I found I just found it so so touching and I have had I have had experiences like that while while playing the the kind of repertoire that I that I work on and it I can say that no matter what the genre is when that happens in music somehow it always uh, speaks to me. Huh. Well, let's listen to it. And by the way, I, I looked it up and uh, according to Wikipedia, um, the guy who wrote it said that he dreamt the opening melody in his sleep and that he says he doesn't uh, write it, he dreamed it. And that's part of maybe what we hear. So let's listen to it. Um, it's Chan Chan, right? Correct. Uh, all right. This is Chan Chan performed by the Buena Vista Social Club from their self-titled album released in 1997. Everything just feels right. And it's something that I, I think a lot as a performer in terms of Everything that I do in a piece of music, uh, just constantly finding the right balance. And when that happens, uh, it's hard to describe it. It's just uh, everything just fits perfectly together. Nothing feels too much. Nothing feels too little. And uh, it ends up being a very touching experience. As somebody who is so immersed in music as a performer and as a conductor, um, and I don't know, you might write music too, I I don't know the answer to that yet, but um, is it hard for you to listen to songs and not in some ways, you know, be deconstructing them? I I think I experience uh, both ways of listening uh, a lot. There are moments when I immediately sort of start analyzing it, and there are moments when music has always been about feelings in a way uh, for me. And there are moments when it speaks so much that it, it goes beyond the analysis and I'm a- able to let go and, and really experience it. But there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of both. And as a performer, I can tell you that if, uh, if you can have both in terms that you've analyzed everything and spent hours and hours thinking about it and then if you're 
able to integrate that but yet let go, then uh, you're really talking about a, a really special experience. Do you compose music? I do not. I, I had to write a few things in school, and it's something that I've been thinking more about uh, lately, and I think I will uh, probably try my hand at it in the near future. But uh, it's been between conducting uh, full-time now and the violin has been a huge part of uh, my life. Uh, there has been a time uh, constraint when it comes to that, but it's something that I would really love to do in the future. So if you you know, went away for a special music, music school in high school, were you on a trajectory in your mind to be doing the kind of thing that you're doing now all along? Well, conducting... Uh, happened really, I really started thinking about it when I was uh, in college. But in terms of the violin, uh, I can tell you there was there was a shift uh, at some point. I think when I was really young, I really, really enjoyed music. And I also perhaps enjoyed a little bit uh, the part that I was uh, participating. I was being part of this music world. I was participating in uh, violin competitions every year, and then I started uh, playing in orchestras, and I I loved the the community and being a part of that. But I think somewhere when I was a, a teenager, I think around fifteen, sixteen, uh, there was a a shift, a moment of shift when I absolutely just started loving music, and and it's actually beyond that. I it's hard today to imagine. Uh, a world for me without music because it, it is such an integral part of what I do that it, it would be very hard to I, I'm trying to sometimes think what would it be if that wasn't there and I honestly have, really have a hard time uh, even describing a place like that I know you started playing young and it seems like you had success early on but do you remember the first time you had to perform what you felt like was a big solo where you felt like you know this was your first chance to shine somehow Well there were the annual uh, competitions perhaps I remember there was a first time I played as a soloist as a violin soloist uh, at uh, this was at the radio hall in Bucharest. Bucharest uh, is the capital of Romania. It's a wonderful, wonderful location. And I remember I was playing the Bach double concerto with a fellow colleague of mine. And to me, you know, being in the capital, being a big performance, it, it felt like a big, big moment. And there have been many uh, after that. I think a, a big, uh, another big performance was the first time I ever performed in the United States. I was. It was in between 11th grade and 12th grade, and I was participating in a summer music school. It's called the Perlman Music Program on Shelter Island, New York. And uh, my first performance there, particularly because it's, it was in front of one of my violin idols, which is Itzhak Perlman, that felt like a really, really big deal for me. Was that the first time you had come to the United States? Uh, that is uh, that is the first time I I, I came to the United States, and uh, I remember this very very vividly because I was in eleventh grade and I was uh, home for winter break, and my mom she was googling all sorts of things and researching online, and she's the one that found this uh, summer music program online. It's called the Perlman Music Program. Uh, it takes about seven weeks. It's on Shelter Island, New York, and it's really, it's truly an incredible uh, program. Uh, you basically 
play music and do something music related uh, from 8.30 in the morning until late at night. And there is some, some practice time scheduled in the morning. You have uh, lessons in the afternoon and you do chamber music in the afternoon. Everybody in the program at 5 p.m. sings in chorus, and this includes all the staff and faculty. Then there's dinner, and mm-hmm. then there's orchestra afterwards or some sort of a chamber reading. Uh, now you you might make the connection why I love chamber reading so much, uh-huh. but that's where it all <laughs> that's where it all started. And I I absolutely loved my first summer, and that's why I really started. Uh, I I wanted to to study uh, and go to college in the United States. And that's what inspired my decision to, for the next year to apply to colleges in the United States. Do you have any musical memories associated with that summertime here that aren't related to that experience? Uh summertime here that are not related to the experience. In other words, you know, turning on American radio for the first time or, you know, going out in the evening somewhere where there was music playing that, you know, something not classical music. Well, were I you think... so immersed that that was, that was, that was all it. It's a bit <laughs> tricky because we were so immersed and we were on an island. So, but I still that being said, no, I, I really, I, I got a sense of, uh, American culture for the very first time, and I, I absolutely loved it here, and I loved how uh, welcoming everybody was. I, I can say I felt at home from from the very beginning, and then before, after the program, before uh, flying home, uh, I got to spend was perhaps twelve hours in New York City, and uh, that was truly something. It was uh, overwhelming in many ways, but uh, I remember it was so exciting, and uh, I loved that as well. When was the first time you had a chance to conduct an orchestra or a you know a group of musicians? So that was during my sophomore year of college. I ended up after the Perlman Music Program when I was uh, in my senior year. I auditioned uh, senior year in high school. I auditioned for the Colburn Conservatory in Los Angeles, and I ended up studying there for seven years. I did two degrees. And it was during my second year, uh, my violin teacher actually recommended that uh, I take a secondary, a non-official conducting class that met every Saturday. And I guess uh, what he saw was that whenever I played violin, I was always leading a lot with body gestures. And he thought it would be a good idea to try to explore conducting. So I started taking these classes and... uh, I first conducting, uh, conducted a larger group of people during classes, but also the conservatory, they had a wonderful outreach program where the orchestra of the conservatory, uh, they would allow one week every semester, and they would take the orchestra. We would go on buses early in the morning, and we would go to schools uh, around L.A. County and present performances. And... Uh, they trusted me to do a lot of that, and that's how I gained my, my first conducting uh, experience. But it was really, really wonderful because I got to conduct quite uh, a lot, and it was a large, large orchestra. And I also got to present every single uh, concert. So it was very, very early on, but it was a very meaningful experience. When you look back on those early times conducting now, do you see the things maybe that you didn't know yet? Does that make sense? I mean, I'm assuming you've added things to your, you know, your conducting repertoire and toolbox, and you so it's informed in a different way now than when you're just getting started. 
Oh, absolutely. There was something really nice about it because it was very raw in a way, and I just absolutely uh, loved it. But with conducting with uh, with every year, there's just so much to learn. It's it's really a never ending uh, journey. So uh, at this point, I feel like I've gained already from that point so much experience. And and in many ways, when it comes to the score study, to to reading the score. Uh, to studying more and more repertoire. It, it is a little bit like learning a foreign language, and the more time you spend with it, the more fluent uh, you become. So it does feel completely uh, different now. But what was fascinating about those moments was uh, the the incredible enthusiasm and how, how raw it was in, in, in a good way. Uh, okay, you're our third maestro on this show, and we've asked the other two. Can you describe what it is a conductor is doing th- th- from your own perspective? Like, what is your role up there, and, and, and in what ways are you informing or steering what it is we experience as l- listeners? So if I were to sum it up, I would say... The most important role is to present a unified, a unified performance. So the responsibility, the musical responsibility, is to bring everybody in the room together in order to to give a successful uh, performance and interpretation. Now, uh, how do you get there? And that's that's really very very interesting because there is so much score study, so much preparation that has to happen uh, before, and a lot of it a lot of it is technical. There, um, there are things like phrase analysis and harmonic analysis and you know, figuring out what the form of the piece is. But to me, uh, the most important thing is once all those steps have been finished, I ask myself the question, what do I really want to do with this uh, piece of music? And that's when it really becomes uh, so incredibly interesting because a phrase can go here or it can go there and it can change. It's very important. Uh, The space we're performing uh, with, the musicians in the room, uh, the audience that listening, everything, uh, every element has to be taken into consideration. But ultimately, what do we really want to say with this piece of music uh, is really when it becomes an incredible incredible experience to try to figure that out. And then, of course, once you get to the rehearsals and to the performances, you have to first convince the orchestra of that direction. And that being said, I do think of the orchestra as a huge kind of chamber ensemble where every every musician is just absolutely uh, essential. That's why I I have the utmost respect for all the musicians in the orchestra, and I really try to think what can I possibly uh, do to enhance everything that they're bringing and to unify it in a unified uh, interpretation. Would it be fair to say that like if we go to a concert at uh, Barber B. Mann and the performance would be like, think of it like an iceberg, the performance is what's above the water, but then there's all this stuff that's below the water that's what led to that moment that we all get to experience. Oh, absolutely. And that applies. 
of course, it applies to the conductor, but it really applies uh, to every single musician in the orchestra because we were talking earlier about my life story and how I started when I was seven and I had to move when I was 12 and then I had to move again when I was 18 and then I had to move again seven years later. And there's so many steps that have led to where I am. And then imagine every single musician in the orchestra has a life story that has contributed to the place uh, they are in now. And then you put all those people together to present something unified. So it is a bit generic, but it's really absolutely true that when you have a symphony orchestra performing, uh, that experience is absolutely unique because even if you play that piece with the same orchestra, uh, Five years later, there are already going to be some different musicians in the orchestra with different life stories. So everything changes every day. And that's why every life performance is so incredibly unique. Next time I go see an orchestra performance, I'm totally going to imagine all of the life stories converging on that moment. <laughs> no, it truly is incredible. And the, the amount of dedication on every musician's part to get there is absolutely incredible. Hmm. Okay, well, let's move on to your second song. It's by the uh, the orchestral performer Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I tried. I tried. You know, it would have been so easy for me to choose uh, three classical pieces, but I I wanted to to have three completely different directions that are so all three are so meaningful to me. And this is Rocket Man by uh, Elton John and Sir Elton John. Sir Elton John. <laughs> It actually relates to exactly what we were talking. Uh, I had, it was one evening, or let's say early night, I was in in California, I was still a college student, and I had heard a song many times uh, before because it's it's almost impossible not to hear it, uh, whether on a soundtrack somewhere or on the radio. Uh, But... For some reason, I was uh, I was on YouTube, and it just popped up, and I listened to it, and it just something happened. It just touched me, and I kept listening uh, to it over and over. I don't know how many times uh, that evening, and I really, when I think about it, it really uh, has to do with the feeling that I believe uh, the song captures, and is this idea of having to leave something behind in order to move on to uh, perhaps the next uh, experience. And I think when I look at my life as a young musician and uh, life as an artist, as we were talking earlier, I had to leave home when I was 12, which was was really very, very difficult at the time, uh, emotionally speaking. Uh, Then I had to leave a whole other huge part of my life when I was uh, 18. When I finished college, I had to... Uh, moved to Boston for the master's in conducting there. Uh, two years later, I had to. I, I moved to Naples, Florida, and to this day, let's say when I get to work with an orchestra, I get to guest conduct for uh, one week. Uh, I have to leave home in order to do that. And I'm someone who loves absolutely every single place uh, I've been in, but I find it very, very, very difficult because I fall in love with every place. Uh, to leave the place and to leave uh, the people. And I think the song captures that, and it just really hit me that night. 
Well, let's listen to it. I love this song. Um, this is Rocket Man by the one and only Elton John, Sir Elton John, sorry, Jared, from his 1972 album Honky Chateau. It's Radu Papanyu's second song on today's episode of Three Song Stories. You know, I've heard that song a bunch of times, but what I love about what we do with this show is is I'd never really thought about it in terms of lyrically and what it was saying and what it might mean, and your story really framed it in such a way as I could see it like that. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I to me it's always... I've always reacted more to the harmony than to the lyrics, but in this case I just think it's a wonderful combination of both when they really reflect each other in such a way that... It really translates into something very, very powerful. Hmm. Did you happen to see the Elton John biopic that came out? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, this song features prominently. (laughs) I have heard about it. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, uh, So you mentioned before this song that you were in Romania, then you were in um, L.A., and then you were in Boston. So when did you come to Southwest Florida? I uh, I came in uh, it was September twenty seventeen, and I arrived uh, five days before Irma. Oh right! <laughs> so it was quite quite a welcome, and uh, I have been here ever since, and it's been just absolutely wonderful for me. What brought you to Southwest Florida or Naples? At first, I worked as assistant conductor of the Naples Philharmonic. Uh, and then for the past uh, three years, I have been associate conductor of the Naples Philharmonic and then director of the Naples Philharmonic uh, Youth Orchestra. So I came here for uh, for the job. Had you ever been to this part of the world before? Uh, yes. As as a student at the Perlman Music Program, they have a residency in Sarasota, which is not too far north. So I first came here when I was a senior uh, in high school because after the summer music school, uh, I came here in December for a couple of weeks. So what was it like when you first moved here, besides it being Irma? You know, that, luckily, we haven't had another Irma since you got here. But um, you know, how did you settle into uh, to the Southwest Florida scene? Well, I, uh, I've always loved going to the beach. It's something that I did a lot with my parents when I was young. So I absolutely loved the landscape here. And then I have to confess, three of my... Uh, Hobbies are playing tennis, uh, biking, and fishing. So I really, I cannot really think of a much better place anywhere in the world to do those three than uh, Southwest Florida. So it really worked out perfectly for me. What kind of fishing? Well, I so first I, I was fishing when I was growing up on the Danube, so it was freshwater, and then. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of uh, salt uh, water fishing and then a little bit of uh, bass fishing as well here in Florida. I don't want to stereotype, but is there <laughs> a lot of overlap between orchestra conductors and classical musicians who do it professionally and bass fishing? It's hard to. I feel like I don't know enough enough to answer that <laughs> that question. Have properly. you ever gone fishing with anybody in one of your orchestras? Uh, well, I have gone with some people here in Southwest Florida, but uh, besides that, I can't. I don't ever remember fishing with another conductor. But uh, I get a feeling you have you have had this answer before. If uh, well, I don't think we talked about fishing <laughs> when I. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not quite so sure about that. 
Um, so you work with young musicians through the youth youth orchestra. Are you still going to be doing that? Uh, yes, yes. It's something I will continue doing. And I love, with every year that I learn something else, I, I just love to have this opportunity to share what I learn uh, with young musicians. And it's something, it's very, very special to see, especially, uh, I, I'll never forget when I played Beethoven's Fifth Symphony for the very, very first time. And uh, to see that with the young students uh, these days when they discover the great, great classical music repertoire for the very first time, it's something uh, very meaningful for me. Have you worked with any young musicians who've gone on to, you know, higher things that you keep track of? Uh, absolutely. There, and there are a lot of uh, the musicians in our youth orchestra, they end up going to college uh, for music. Also before, for uh, one year, when I was finishing my master's uh, in Boston, I conducted uh, one of the ensembles of the Juilliard uh, pre-college division uh, in New York. And a lot of the students there are planning and are on their way of going into music. And uh, yes, absolutely. I, I've been very fortunate to also, through my connection with Juilliard, I have worked uh, a little bit in Asia. Uh, I went and conducted over there one time uh, in Vietnam and one time in Shanghai. So I've been very lucky to be able to work. Uh, it's always been a part of my life working with young musicians, and uh, a lot of them are planning on going into professional careers in music. Have you happened to have kept track of how many countries you've visited? Sounds like the list is a lot longer than mine anyway. I don't have an exact number, but I can tell you when I was still in high school, I was uh, a member of uh, youth orchestra. It was a European youth orchestra. It's called the Central European Initiative Youth Orchestra. And we would uh, meet every summer, rehearse for three weeks, and then we would tour uh, Europe. So I got to see a lot of Europe uh, that way. I have been to China, to Korea, and to Vietnam, and lots of places in the United States and Canada, and I think that covers most of it, but there are a lot of European countries in there. Have you been to many concerts, and by that I mean rock and roll concerts or singer-songwriter concerts, you know, not classical world? That, I have to confess, not, uh, not, not so much. Like none? Uh, not none, but I have conducted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't remember being to a rock and roll uh, live concert. Now, I remember I have had uh, some instances where I uh, have conducted orchestral pops uh, performances, and I have worked with people like David uh, Foster, uh, Leslie Autumn Jr. I had a collabor collaboration with uh, REM uh, and things of that nature. What was the REM collaboration all about? Uh, Robert McDuffie, who is a wonderful uh, violinist, he commissioned a concerto for violin and a rock band and orchestra. And uh, we performed it in uh, Naples with the Naples Philharmonic Youth Orchestra, actually. Wow. Um, your your wife is a, uh, how do you say it, flutist, flautist? Flutist, yes. F flutist. Is flautist like completely wrong? Because there was a point in time when all of a sudden everybody started saying flautist and then it went back to flutist. I think, you know, I have heard it so much. I tend to believe that both terms I, are acceptable and I go with flutist, and sometimes I say flute player, but I have heard a lot of flautist in the U.S. as well. So. Your wife plays the flute with the uh, the Naples uh, Symphony, right? Yes. 
What's it like to conduct when she's in the crowd? Uh, well, uh, most of the time she's in the orchestra, and that's how we met. Well, that's what I meant, the crowd of musicians yeah, in yeah, front yeah, of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's how we we met for the f- very first time, and then it's happened so many times that I, I have to say it's very, very special, but we have, we have done it so much that uh, I have become quite comfortable with it. I'm very fortunate that I, I get to that I get to do that. And you met through you conducting an orchestra she was performing in? Uh, yes, we, we met in Naples for the, for the very first time. Huh. Um, do you and her have musical tastes outside of your work that uh, align or, or not? Mm, I think I have. Well, I like to listen to uh, a bit of everything, but perhaps my, my taste... You can see with the three songs I I I chose today, they're a bit uh, specific, and they all they're always associated with some type of a uh, of a memory. Uh, there there's certain things that she grew up with that she likes to listen, and that's why I have to confess she will be uh, my first uh, recommendation for three song stories because she loves music of any genres, and I. Uh, I think uh, she'll be absolutely great for doing this. Okay. Well, we'll ask her if there's any places where your musical taste <laughs> don't align. Um, okay. Well, let's get to your third song. We finally get some classical music out of you. So tell us about this. Uh, so in terms of memory for this, we are going back to uh, the Perlman Music Program because that's where I heard the whole quartet. This is Beethoven's String Quartet, Opus 132 in a minor. It's one of the late Beethoven uh, quartets, and it's just an absolutely incredible uh, piece of music. But for this, I chose the the third uh, movement, which is called the Heilige Dangesang, and this is a very unique movement uh, in the repertoire. Beethoven was really suffering from uh, a stomach disease, and he he really did not think he was going. Uh, to recover. So this is, in a way, a thanking uh, song uh, to divinity for him uh, recovering. Now, the the movement itself, it's about, it, it depends a lot on the performance, but it's about 16 minutes long, and it has a very, very interesting uh, structure. Uh, it's this idea of having a slow, fast, slow, fast, slow. Now, in the slow section, uh, there are two elements. There's a chorale that's broken into uh, a couple bars, and between every two bars, you get it's something. It almost sounds like a musical call. Every instrument is passing around this this one interval, after after which they all settle and. Uh, basically sing the chorale for two bars, then they have a call again, then they sing the chorale again. And this is all uh, slow music. It's very, very beautiful, very pure, and the harmony is very uh, powerful in that way. Now, after one of these slow episodes goes by, you get uh, very light, very happy uh, music. You have this incredible contrast. When the slow music comes back, it gets more intricate uh, every single time. And uh, towards the end, you get uh, something uh, somewhat of a fugato episode when it really gets, in terms of counterpoint, a, a little bit more uh, more complicated. Now, the reason I chose this, uh, I can say that upon uh, 
uh, hearing the string quartet uh, for the very first time, I was so moved. Uh, I remember walking on the beach after the performance, and it was a feeling that I just could not get over for hours after the performance. And I, I truly felt change, changed in a way uh, that to this day I can't, uh, I can't, uh, I can't describe it. It was just such an incredibly powerful experience. And the funny story is that a few years later, I got to perform as a violinist, uh, the whole string quartet, also on Shelter Island, uh, New York. And uh, I remember the, the reaction of the audience. Uh, there was so much applause. And, and we, kept, we kept coming uh, back for more applause. But it was one of those moments uh, where I have to confess, with all honesty as a performer, uh, I really felt that a huge part of the applause was really for the composition uh, itself because it was just so incredibly powerful. Well, it must be something for you to have been moved so deeply by it and then get to the point where you can be a part of performing it so to other people so they feel that too. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Um, I have two different versions of it here. I have one that's by the Viridian String Quartet and one by the Escher String Quartet, which was part of the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. Do you have a preference? I will let you choose. All right, we'll go with the Lincoln Center one, Jared. Uh, this is Beethoven's String Quartet number 15, opus 32 in A minor, performed here by the Escher String Quartet as part of the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. It's Radu Papanyu's final song here on Three Song Stories. I have so many memories associated uh, with it, both hearing it and working on it and performing it. It's, it's always just, for me, it's always just an incredible uh, experience. It brings back so much for me. And it's, so, it's always so incredibly pure in a way, too, that uh, when you hear the, the choral melody in the opening, it's really, it's modal. And it's so, there's something about the purity of the harmony that makes it so powerful. And it always, always speaks to me. Did you say that he wrote that late in life when he was ill? Yes, he he had uh, severe stomach pain and a disease, and the doctors did not think he was going uh, to make it this time. And then he recovered, and that's when he he wrote that. Um, is there something about the what we hear and feel when we listen to that that, in some ways, do you think ties to him writing it, composing it when he thought he might not live? Well, I. Th- think I think it's this incredible contrast between the opening the slow sections which are so uh, pure they're they're slow and then when you get to the fast to the to the major section it's so alive so playful you get a dance in there it's just so incredibly full of life so I think that's where we see his experience in this incredible contrast between uh, between the two you said except for maybe some school assignments, you haven't really composed any music. But if you listen to something like that, or I guess the general question is, is could you imagine just in your head putting down as many parts as that in such a way that it would be cohesive before you ever heard it? Well, I I have to confess with every day that passes by that I study music and that I uh, – I'm – I feel that in a way I spend time with these incredible composers uh, every single day. And the more 
I get to know them, the more I realize the kind of true geniuses uh, they are. So I can say that I have learned a lot through music, but uh, to do something comparable to uh, Beethoven, Mozart, Brahms, oh. Mahler, uh, that, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would ever be able to do something like that, but I just have the respect for them with every day that passes by is just absolutely just incredible what they've been uh, able to do. So maybe not to the degree of the Beethovens of the world, but in principle, <laughs> um, you know, you obviously can play music, you're a conductor, you mm -hmm. can read music, you understand how the parts fit together. But, you know, could you put something together without, you know, just totally from thought using, you know, writing down notes for different instruments? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because there's, you know, there is so much, uh, so much background, so much studying and having seen what all, all the composers uh have done. That's why it's becoming more and more interesting for me. And that's why I, it's something that I think about that soon I would like to write something. Uh, because with everything uh, you learn, you ask yourself the question, I'm curious now that I know all of this, what would I uh, do if I tried to, to write something? That's really cool. I mean, you know, some people, you know, they can learn three chords and rearrange them somehow and put some words to it. But I can't even imagine being able to, you know, take on a challenge like that. That must be cool to know that at least you've got it in the toolbox for someday. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay, have you, um, in the course of your life, have you done much going to uh, musicals, plays, stage performances that aren't orchestral concerts? Uh, I have, uh, let's say, a f first one I ever... Uh, the fast answer is uh, it was not something of the culture growing up in Romania. So it's something that I've been introduced to uh, later uh, in life. Uh, I first saw a musical, and it was a Christmas musical when I was uh, a college student. I was in Philadelphia for the winter, and I remember seeing something, and uh, I remember loving it. It was, uh, I loved the music, and I loved how active the stage was, and it was, it was the first time I ever experienced that. And then, uh, as a conductor, I've I, I, I've had to conduct some pops concert, and uh, some have had selections from a lot of uh, Broadway uh, musicals, and of course I'm familiar with uh, the music of Bernstein uh, quite a lot. So, to my experience, uh, it's something I've been introduced to later in life, but I have found the musical to be so fantastic that every time I have to do. Uh, Something I have to conduct uh, the mu music from uh, from a musical. I absolutely love it because the music is so good. Hmm. Um, are you a karaokeer? Uh, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Uh, no, I, I have done some stuff with uh, with uh, my close friends and my uh, my family. But you know, there is already so much performance uh, in my life that. Uh, I keep it. I keep it in those very, very close circles. If you're driving around in the car and you have music on that has lyrics to it, will you sing along by yourself? Uh, once in a while, yeah. It really depends on the day. Sometimes I surprise myself. There's some sort of uh, there's something in the music that I I can't resist, and I I kind of go with it. And I I do recall uh, being in the car with uh, with my wife and. 
I think maybe something by Beatles came on from Abbey Road, and I just kind of singing along. So things like that happen, but uh, they're not really planned in any way. It's it's uh, I just love music, so I react to it sometimes. Do you have a nickname that has stuck over the course of your life that you would you would be willing to share? I do not. Nothing. I don't think. Is so. Radu short for anything? Uh, no, that's just uh, what it is. And almost everybody, yeah, they all call me Radu. <laughs> okay. I guess here it's so unique in a way that uh, it's... Uh, it's a name that doesn't need a nickname. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's um, a pr- fairly common Romanian uh, name. Not hmm. one of the most commons, but I would say second level common. What would be the most common or a very common name? Something like Ion, it's uh, John, or Mihai is Michael in Romanian. Huh. Yeah. Um, okay, here's some weird questions. If you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter the arena to? <laughs> That's good. Uh, Beethoven Fifth Symphony, first movement. What would your wrestler name be? I don't know. I've never. You could just be called the Fifth. Radu the Fifth. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> let, let, let's stick with that. <laughs> If you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind that represented you, what would it be? Old fashioned. Anything specific about it that you could personalize it? I, I think there's a classy element uh, with it that I I really really like. And well, Mad Men happens to be my favorite TV show, and they also they drink a lot of old fashions in there. <laughs> okay. Um, if you had to guess, what would you say is the song you've listened to? The most times, song. I, I'll tell you the album is uh, it's Beatles Abbey Road. If I'm I'm trying to not go uh, classical, and it's because I absolutely loved it, and uh, I almost chose one of the first two songs, either Come Together or something, for this episode uh, as well. It's just there's so many that I I went in a different direction. But uh, yeah, there's uh, there's something about that. I had a copy when I was uh, in when I was in college in my car that I just played all the time and I just I just absolutely loved the album and even when I started learning uh, guitar I loved the first four or five chords in uh, uh, in something and I, I've just yeah I've, I've heard it so 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 much you said you're playing the guitar now have you gotten to where you have any songs that you could sit down play from start to finish and even maybe sing along uh, yeah I would say I uh, something by Beatles I can probably uh, do it's it's the thing about guitar playing the violin a lot of the technique uh, elements uh, apply and especially if it's a song that doesn't have uh, uh, too many chords it should be fairly uh, manageable in a in a friendly setting I, I would not do it in probably not in public uh, because you know knowing how, what you can do on an instrument that you've studied for 20 years and then playing a new instrument, there's an element of technique that you become a perfectionist in that way. But, you know, for home use, uh, yes, absolutely. Do you still play the violin very often? Yes, I do. It's a huge part of my life. And there are times when conducting schedule gets so busy that it's hard to do it. But uh, when I have time, I I really try to, to play almost uh, every day. I try to teach a little bit of violin. And I even... Uh, I I still perform in public, and I recently gave a, a recital in in Boston about uh, uh, at MIT in Boston about three months against uh, three months ago. So it's a huge part of my life that I I hope I could 
I can keep doing it for a long time. Is there a song you wish you could hear again for the very first time? Well, it, it I there was something I remember so vividly. I'll. It's a little bit different. Not so much hear it, but uh, I remember, and I said something on these lines earlier, being in that European uh, youth orchestra, and the very first time we read through the first moment of Beethoven's uh, Fifth Symphony, I, I will never forget what I uh, what I felt. I almost couldn't believe how powerful it was to be live in the room, to hear all those instruments uh to, together, and uh, yeah, it just completely shocked me, and I, I I was touched beyond belief. And I remember my, all my friends who did it for the first time too; they experienced something uh, similar. And while it is still, it's incredible every time I'm part of it in some way. Uh, there was something about that first moment when I discovered it that I just, to this day, I remember the feeling, and I uh, I get goosebumps immediately. Are there any songs amongst the, you know, classical music repertoire that you've either played so many times or conducted so many times or heard so many times that you're just done with it? No, absolutely not. No? No, it's, I, I love music and there's something uh, so special about it every time it happens in real life. It can be the simplest possible song and when I hear a live guitar or uh, any instrument, it, it to me, it's always done something. That's probably why I went into this direction because every time I heard it as a child, I reacted in some sort of way. And uh, I'm really, uh, the honest answer is is no. I, I would love to hear it yet another time. If you could broadcast a song into the head of everyone on the planet all at once, which song would you provide? A song? Well, I, all at once... Yes, a, a mass blast of music to the world. That is a, such an interesting question. It's uh, well, I will I will have to go uh, in the classical direction just by the sheer power of it. But I would there is a choral moment uh, in the end of Mahler's Second Symphony, uh, which is just so incredibly powerful. And I'm just trying to imagine the whole world listening to this at uh, the same time. Because I, we've talked so much about music and being a conductor and a musician, if I think music's greatest power when all is said and done is to bring everybody uh, together. And I think that would be just perfect for that purpose. Um, what would your 14-year-old self, who, if I'm doing the math right, would have been right around the time you moved to Bucharest, what would you think of where you've made it to today and who you are? I, I think I would be uh, very happy, and I, in general, I have no uh, no regrets. I'm I'm very uh, every step along the way has been so fascinating and interesting. I've tried to always trust my instinct in terms of what the next next step should be. I think I have stayed true to that, and that's why I'm so uh, so happy with where I am. Yeah, I can say without a doubt that I have absolutely no uh, regrets. I love being here in Southwest Florida, and that's what's so exciting about the the new job with the Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra, that uh, I cannot wait to bring more music to the to the community in Lee County, uh, to bring world-class music. And it's it's what I've wanted to do all along, and this is why I love conducting so much, because 
I get to work with so many people and share music with them. And first I share it with the musicians in the orchestra and then we all share it together uh, with the audience. And it's just, I absolutely love it. So yeah, I think if I had the preview, I would be very happy. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing you do your thing someday at Barbara B. Mann. But uh, until then, um, it's time for you to recommend your three people who you'll share this with, who you think we should get on. I know the first one's your wife, right? Correct. I think she would be fantastic for this. Then I would like to recommend the general manager of, of Southwest Florida uh, Symphony Orchestra, uh, Nora Lustre. I got to know her uh, quite well uh, during the uh, my trial week and in the last few weeks, I I think she has a fascinating uh, life story. And okay, cool. It would be wonderful. And then I would like to recommend uh, violinist Stella Chen. She was the soloist when I did uh, my concert with the Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra. And I first met her when she was 14. I was 17 at the Perlman Music Program on Shelter Island, uh, New York. And we've been... Uh, best friends and colleagues ever since, and I think she would uh, do wonderfully on an episode. All right. Well, we'll do our best to get them on, especially your wife. I want to hear her side of the story. Um, <laughs> do you have any final thoughts you want to leave us with? Uh, no, just thank you so much uh, for the invitation. I feel like I relieved, uh, relived so many uh, memories, which is uh, what music does for us, and uh, it was wonderful, and uh, I look, I very much look uh, forward to being uh, a part of the musical community here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chenqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is our online content producer and she hosts. Christophus is our executive producer and our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. If you'd like to hear a slightly shorter version of this conversation, but one that contains longer versions of the songs, go to WGCU.org and click the Listen tab at the top of the page. For this week's Parting Tune, we're going back a year to episode number 175 with guest Justin Paprocki, hosted by our very own Jared Gonzalez. He's the student media advisor for Eagle Media and an adjunct instructor at Florida Gulf Coast University. It's like one of those things where like one of your favorite bands has a new album out their new cd out at the time and it's like oh, i can't wait to like go and like go get it and i remember going with you know my friend to the mall uh you know finding the album you got to like unwrap like the cellophane around it mm-hmm. which is impossible and trying there's like a little sticker on the top of the cd that you had to like like kind of like try and peel off um and like finally open it and you like pop it into the cd of the you know, of, you know, of your car or whatever, and then, um, yeah, like, this is the first song off of it. I was just like, wow, this is pretty cool. And that was, like, their whole They Might Be Giants vibe, and maybe uh, me and my group fr- friend, a you know, group of friends in high school, whole, our, a lot of our vibe was just kind of goofy. Yeah. Would you, use, would you use the word quirky? A quirky, yeah. Yeah? I'd okay. use quirky. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories... You know how many people were staring at me? Like, I was ugly crying. 